Doomed Fidget, a BFRB podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Fidget. For our guest today, maybe you know her from her TED Talk, The Power of Awareness, or as the co-founder of Habit Aware. Habit Aware makes the Keen and Keen 2 smart bracelets that helps you alert behavior based on motions you record yourself. This is a Time Magazine best invention, fast company, world-changing idea, and holds scientific research grants with the National Institute of Mental Health and the National Science Foundation. Joining us from Habit Aware World Headquarters in Minnesota, Anila Inani. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm just so in awe of what you, Jason and Adele, are building right now with the podcast and raising awareness and... So I'm honored to be here. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And we're so in awe of what you're doing. It's been such an inspiring discovery to sort of realize the community and the, yeah, everything you foster. That's the beauty of the community is we all inspire each other and we're all picking different problems within the issue to, to work on. And I think that all together is going to make a huge difference for the entire BFRB community. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we can start. Um, Anila, I don't know if you want to talk about, yeah, your own journey with your BFRB and maybe where, where that's led you to. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's a long <laughs> <laughs> We got it ours. So. We, we start yeah. with the easy questions. <laughs> okay. yeah. uh, so I, I don't know how far to go back. When I was a baby, I used to suck my thumb. <laughs> I don't okay. even go that far back. Um, and then I started hair twirling. And I still remember laying in bed and I would drink my milk and I would hair twirl my hair and I would fall asleep. And so mm-hmm. by nature, my body, my mind was using those as coping mechanisms more than normal, more than, you know, and I put normal in quotes, more than other people probably. Um, and then in my early tweens, I don't remember exactly when, but like 10, 11, 12, I started pulling out hair. And that was kind of, it just felt good. It just, you know, in the moment, that little feeling of calmness, soothing, relief. Um, And for me, it started, I think, because I had moved to a new town and I just, you know, I went from being comfortable to a fish out of water, in a sense. And then in high school, my father fell sick with cancer and that kind of just destroyed me in a sense. Mm -hmm. Didn't really know what to do with that. And it was the 90s. No one was thinking about mental health or, you know, how this teenager is dealing with this situation of death and dying. And it was all about his care and that kind of thing. And so it was just something that I had to go through on my own. And my brain chose to do that by pulling out the hair on my eyebrows. Mm And my eyelashes. So that answers some of the question. That's that's like (laughs) most of the past. And then, I don't know, should I stop there? (laughs) Um, Sure, yeah, no. Wow, yeah, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for for sharing, Anelia. I was talking to a mom last week, and she was saying, she was commenting to me her her son um, struggles with nail biting. And she says, yeah, there's a picture of him in the womb, like in the ultrasound, him sucking his thumb. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's nature. It's yeah. what our bodies are primed to do. If we see it in 
you know, birds, you see it in monkeys, you see it in lots of different animals. There's that to me, I'm not a trained medical professional or scientist, (laughs) but I feel that that's like genetic linking showing Mm -hmm. that it happens Mm -hmm. in other, you know, life forms, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, that it's not our fault. If you think about it, I mean, our body is the, is the first tangible physical thing that we interact with right so in the womb you don't have a fidget toy you don't have like anything (laughs) that you can sort of release whatever you're feeling um and yeah so it it makes sense that we would that somehow we use it as a tool you know just take comfort right Mm -hmm. that's all it is Mm -hmm. and that's the realization that we're all coming to finally Mm -hmm. Right. So kids growing up today will have a better understanding. Their parents will have a better understanding. All the knowledge, all the resources. Now it's just up to them to actually use it. Right. And not feel this fear of, you know, not not trying to find out what's wrong or what's happening. Mm. Mm-hmm. Another common thread I think I'm I'm hearing is the like. Um, yeah, you, you moved to, to a new place when you're 12 or 13. I think Adele, that sort of mimics your experience with your trick, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the official out of water, um, component of of your story. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, um, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what that, what that felt like? Yeah, I've been exploring that a lot right now, just in, in trying to really understand the, underlying triggers of my own hair pulling condition and it really comes down to this feeling of not being good enough but there was a point in my life where I didn't feel that where I felt very strongly in who I was and well then I moved Hmm. and it was a different town it was a different culture it was a different way of life they had different values different priorities and it fed this cycle of you're not good enough because I didn't fit those molds right Hmm. um even just like looking at the contrast of New York where I grew up and Minneapolis where I am now, and which is the home I should have been in from birth, to be honest, <laughs> it's the value system. In New York, it's so much about money and what car are you driving? What, uh, you know, bag do you have? Like the consumeristic society, whereas here the value system is so much more ingrained in nature and how you're spending your time versus how you're spending your money. And that's where, and that's what I felt growing up. It went from just playing and having fun with any type of child to now being kind of, oh, you know, I was a tomboy, so I wasn't allowed to play with the boys. I wasn't allowed to play with the girls in the new, you know, I didn't feel like I didn't want to play with the girls, whatever it was. Like, you know, you just feel out of place. And then you start questioning internally what's wrong with me. There's never this question of, well, maybe it's them that's yeah. got the problems, right? That's got that, that misalignment of where the blame, in quotes, should mm. be. In mm-hmm. Adele, I don't know if I've ever asked you this. Like when you moved, when you were in middle school, did you feel like a fish out of water? Yes, <laughs> I did. I, I mean, I think I wonder how much of that is also just being a teenager and um because I think a lot of people start to experience BFRBs in the, in their teenage years. And there's a lot of change going on, even if you don't move across the country or across continents. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did, I do remember that first year, I actually, I changed schools almost 
well, I think it was like two times the first year, but then every year after that, I kept changing schools because my parents would move houses and then I graduated middle school and I went to like a junior high and then I went to a high school. I, it was just way too many, in my opinion, way too many changes of school. So every time it was about figuring out, well, who am I in this environment and what is my relationship to these other people and will they accept me? And um, I think there were, there were a lot of, of factors there, but it's interesting now because I feel like I'm almost recreating those changes in my life. Like, I don't know, Anila, if you had this experience since you, you did move, if you still like think about, oh, maybe I want some new environment now, or if you're happy to be in one place. Yeah. I mean, I definitely moved around a lot for school, for work, for different reasons, study abroad, like all those kind of movements. But I think I'm happy where I am. <laughs> I can't fathom moving right now. I don't know. I love, I love it here. I just, there's, yeah. One pattern I notice in my life is every time I move, my trichotillomania gets worse. Is that something that you just observed with that initial move or is it something that you continue to experience? That's interesting. I actually don't even know because hmm. I wasn't paying enough attention, right? I don't think I could go back to those memories now and really mm -hmm. think about it. I do remember, I don't know if it got, I don't know. It's, yeah, if I, I wasn't <laughs> keeping track of that data point. <laughs> I was just curious. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever move in the future let me know how it goes yeah, no i don't know i, I don't yeah. i don't think so what i what i have noticed is that it's tied to my hormones for mm. sure because mm. obviously it started around puberty like we, i moved in third grade which i think is eight years old mm. and then you know kind of this feeling of not being accepted i don't know just kind of kept eating away at me and so as i got more in it started coming out in these ways um so that was puberty and then really you know and then for 20 plus years i figured out how to hide it from everyone mm. nobody knew i just knew okay if i just pull a little bit on this left eyebrow and then a little bit on this one and then i can put my black eye pencil no one will know people will be like oh you have such nice eyebrows i'm like mm. it's just a pencil <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea i can't go in the pool because then it'll wipe off mm. um but it was really around the time of my first pregnancy that it it just got so out of control that my husband finally caught me. And that was kind of the moment where I was walking into the bathroom after a late night pull session and trying to quickly get my pencil so I could cover it before he saw me. But it was just the timing didn't work <laughs> or the timing did work maybe is the right mm. answer there because it was the impetus to finally let him in and finally, you know, he just looked at me and said, where are your eyebrows? And that was when I shared with him, I have trichotillomania. And he's just like, what is that? And, you know, at that point I had known because, you know, I didn't know it as a child, but in my mid twenties, I was again pulling a lot because I was going through a bad breakup. So there's always these different triggers. Mm. Um, and I still remember sitting in my office. I was working in accounting, crying away because everyone else had gone to lunch. And I was like, not in the mood to be around anyone. I was so depressed. And I was just crying and pulling, seeing these 
lashes fall on my keyboard and finally I typed in why am I pulling out my hair and I was in my 20s when I finally learned the word trichotillomania but it, then I didn't like do anything with that information because it's so scary mm. to know especially back then which wasn't that long ago you know it's a mental health condition right the taboo around that the stigma around that like oh mm. that in and of itself was just another heavy weight that I didn't really have the energy to carry at that moment in time so I just kind of kept aimlessly living for a few more years <laughs> um until I finally got lifted out of that depression yeah um maybe I lifted myself out I don't know I I really resonate with that because I feel like I I knew something was not right but I don't I almost like didn't give myself permission to be like oh this is an issue and I need help or like I felt like I saw professionals, but I didn't like, hey, I'm scratching my hands and I'm really afraid of that. And like, this is the thing you need to pay attention to. I almost felt like I was wasting their time. Like, you know, there are people out there with real problems, you know, like who are struggling with like heroin or, you know, OCD or schizophrenia. Like these professionals are wasting their time on me and I'm like, I'm normal enough. <laughs> um but that gets back to that core belief of just not being good enough, right? Mm. When we believe we're not worthy, other people feed off that energy. Mm. And it's just, they make you feel even more worthless, which is just, <laughs> creates that cycle yeah. of them pulling even more. I mean, I even in my 20s went to see a psychologist to try to start grieving the loss of my father. And it was one of those typical scenes that you see in a TV show where she's like, you know, and how does that make you feel? And I was just like, this is not what I came for. <laughs> I don't feel right, you know? Yeah. And even I remember telling her that I was pulling and she's like, well, just stop that and let's talk about your dad. And I'm just like, no, but they're <laughs> like, a professional said that to you. I don't know, I was just, yeah, I just, it just, you know, and then it turns you off to the whole idea of it. But now I think it's again, changing where, mm. Hopefully, doctors mm. are starting to, you know, medical professionals are starting to recognize it more and see it for what it is. That reminds me of a, of a time I went, I went to see an osteopath. And um, just because why not? I've gone to see so many people at this point, like an osteopath, maybe he would have some kind of idea, right? And um, at one point, like at the end of the session, he said to me, well, you know, when you actually want to stop, you'll be able to. Like that, it will happen. And it was, it really put me off because I was sitting there and I was like, well, I've like come to you, this, you know, stranger. Yes, you're a professional, but I've come, I'm very vulnerable right now. I'm like telling you in detail about my daily experiences and what I've tried. And like, how can you tell me that I don't want to address this? Like, it was a very, I think how I would rephrase it is when I, when I, I don't know if that's the right way. Well, yeah. When I find the tools, when I have the tools, when I feel ready to try certain things, like that's when I'll get better. Like I think there's an element of feeling ready to actually do the work. And Anila, we've had this conversation yeah. about like you have to do the work and I acknowledge that. But saying that I don't want to like right. change or get better, that was that was very <laughs> harmful. <laughs> It's two different things. Like you can want something, but if you're not going to work for it, right? Like 
I can want to be an NBA player. All <laughs> I'm not going to hit the court. Not going to happen, right? Yeah. I think that's just, you know, a bad way of saying it. Right? <laughs> not, not great. <laughs> not great, right? Or even I, I read somewhere someone was told by their dermatologist that their skin picking was a mental health condition, but the way that they said it was like judgingly, mm. whereas it's a fact and it could have led to them getting the right help, but because it was said in such with such stigma attached to it, it made that person hole up even more mm-hmm. right and and um you know hide want to hide even more to be called out for it in a sense right and so language is really important like how do we talk to people with that compassion and it's hard there's i don't i can't i don't have the energy for that every day of my life um and nobody does you know think about you're driving in a car and there's someone sideswipes you or whatever or stops at the stoplight for too long, the stop sign for too long, and that agitation just, come on, move. <laughs> and that's, that's just it. That's, how do you meet people with compassion that you want to be met with? And how do you meet yourself with the <clears throat> compassion that oh. you deserve to be met with? That is the core of this stuff. Absolutely. Mm. That is the core of it. Like all that these behaviors what i've come to realize and it's not in the definition of these behaviors but all it is is a signal to take care of yourself when your hands are in your hair or on your face or your fingernails are in your mouth it's just a signal from your subconscious to your conscious to say hey jason hey adele hey anila take care of yourself like that's how i sign my our news, our habit wear newsletters with love, strength, and awareness. And that's our formula, except it's mm. the opposite. You have to have the awareness to then summon the strength to give yourself that love. Mm. And if you can follow that formula, which like we just said before, right? So wanting to follow the formula is so much easier than <laughs> doing work to follow the formula. Mm. How are you um, following that formula yourself these days? Oh, that's a wonderful question. I am following that formula with a lot of writing. So like I said before, you know, you, you've been asking a little bit about the past. So I've been trying to actually write a little bit more about those memories because I've found that the more I write about the hurt I felt, the lesser I feel it. Yeah. Kind of writing it to release it. Mm. Now that it's summer in Minneapolis, we're going back to the swim, back to swimming uh, at the lake. So that'll be nice. That'll just be a nice way to reconnect with nature. And I've honestly just been working on a prayer table that I have in my closet that just has a few different things. It's got a Buddhist singing bowl. It's got a bunch of different rocks um, mm. that I just hold. I have a candle that I light. I have my I am affirmations because I've told myself for so long that I am not good enough and all these Mm. other nasty words that I need to remind myself of the real things that I am. Um, Or maybe the things that I aspire to be like a patient and peaceful and kind mom, which like I said before, I don't always have the energy to to do that and to be that. Mm. But if I can read it every day, it gives me that reminder every day to try to at least try. Right. Um, so those are the ways that I try to take time for myself and then even just trying to actually 
be with my kids and put set aside whatever's in my head, that noise, which is yeah. really hard. Mm-hmm. Mm, cool. Um, how you you go to your prayer table every every day in the morning in the evening or? I kind of it fluctuates. Yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely one of these practices that I'm working on. Um, but it definitely fluctuates. I definitely feel like, you know, a lot of people when they're starting to feel good, they don't do, you know, they don't go to the gym, right? Yeah. Oh, I don't need it. it. And then I can see my, you know, my negativity Mm. kind of coming back, my Mm. starting to slip a little bit. So I get back on the horse and, and I've, I, I know this pattern now. We've talked about it, right? <laughs> I know it, but, you know, sometimes it's just, I'm just exhausted. I also have been sleeping. So sleeping mm-hmm. is what I realized. Sleeping is probably my number one strategy for my hair pulling. Mm. What I realized in using the bracelet that we created was that that was that late at night, like from 11 to 2 a.m., sitting in the, on the couch, watching TV, working under stress in the dark and just pull, 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 pull. And now looking back, I can say, Oh yeah, as a child, I used to just sit by like this little tiny light and read all through the night where then I couldn't get up in the morning. I was always late for school, like just, you know, domino effect. And I would always be doing things that created anxiety. Like I was a ninth grader looking at college admissions stuff or you know studying for the SATs like that kind of thing where it was just like so stressful at that time of night and then no wonder I was pulling or you know now doing work late that late at night so that's become over the last few years my main strategy so to Mm. your question about how do you take care of yourself sleep is probably number one after Mm. that is prayer and meditation um you know I'm not sitting there like for hours but mostly just meditating on positive thoughts and affirmations, trying to write more and just trying to take many moments for me throughout the day. So I've started trying to integrate deep breathing because I've recognized that that's another thing that I hold my breath. Like, I don't think I've taken a breath yet <laughs> since talking. <laughs> okay, I'm taking a breath now. <laughs> yeah, everyone, all the listeners, just take a deep breath. Collecting breath. Yeah. I notice it in my shoulders. Yeah. I, like. yeah. I notice it in my jaw. I'll just like be tightly clenching my jaw. <laughs> your body is tensing up and you're not breathing and you're essentially putting yourself in fight or flight because of that. Mm-hmm. And that's so working on my breath is now my new thing. And then water was my go to at work. So whenever the bracelet would vibrate, I would just say, oh, time to take care of me and I would drink water and then now that's my go-to where mm. I still play with my eyebrows and eyelashes a little bit and I still pull a little bit but now it's like my hands are not where I want them to be mm. if it's mm-hmm. daytime let me grab water let me fill up my water let me take a walk or just you know stretch or something to um, mitigate that nervous energy or if it's nighttime just close it go to bed I yeah I was actually gonna ask about the the sleep uh, coping strategy which I, I can really relate to that the not the choosing or not being able to choose to go to bed leads to very I was sort of the the worst pulling sprees that I have when I'm sitting and then I'm, I'm in a really usually in a very uncomfortable situation like I'm either cold or I'm like 
just sitting uncomfortably. It, I've noticed that's a pattern and I can't get myself out of it, which is really interesting. Um, but yeah, do, how do you, do you catch yourself before you're in that situation or do you have a signal? Is the bracelet your signal? Like, yeah, how do you interrupt it? Well, so now I just don't go down to the living room at night. Okay. <laughs> like, or if I do, I don't, I don't bring my computer. So I'm not working. So mm. I'm not stressing myself. And then I'm choosing shows that are feeding me in a different way. Like my husband loves TV shows that are high drama, action-packed. And I can feel my heart wanting to just explode out of my body when we watch these things. And so, I, so I've, like I said, I'm, I'm done. I'm just going to go upstairs and read. So now if he's watching one of those shows, I just go up and I read. But I've stopped taking my computer to bed. I've stopped taking my computer to the couch. It's just I'm trying to learn to shut off those moments of stress so that I mean, the stress is still going to be there. But then instead, when I'm laying in bed to go to sleep, I'm praying on them. Yeah. I'm praying that everything is going to be okay, that I trust that it's that everything is happening for a reason and all of that stuff. And I fall asleep midway through sentences. I'm just like, and then I wake up and I'm like, oh, did I pray? Like, I don't remember because I'm, I'm asleep, you know? But I feel safer. I think that was one of the things that actually as a kid that I didn't feel safe growing up because I wasn't safe. I was around people that made me feel unsafe, right? Mm. It's not like they beat me up or they call me names or, I mean, you know, it was more this the feeling that I got when they looked at me or, or the, or honestly, just even the, even the being ignored, mm. right? Has power. Yeah. Right. And I, this is a really, um, I, I think the biggest question, me, me reflecting and thinking about um, uh, talking to you today, the thing that I wanted to ask the most about is like, how, how do you feel like, say maybe race or, you know, being a visible minority, how is that, impacted your your mental health and your bfrb journey yeah it's really something that i'm finally starting to think about and wonder about and i think i know i know wow um i know that my race played a role when i moved right Mm -hmm. it didn't matter where i lived before and i know my gender didn't matter before because i would play with these i would play with anyone Mm -hmm. uh and I know that, you know, when I was a tomboy and it didn't matter, like the kid, the boys would let me play baseball. The girls would, you know, whatever, like we would all play together. Mm. It wasn't boys and girls. Whereas then I shifted and it would became a sea of pinks and purples and a seas of blue and gray. And it was like very delineated. Right. Mm. And then even within that, it was like, okay, there's the brown kids and there's the white kids. Mm. And there was very little interaction um not to say i didn't have friends that overlapped but it was there was definitely this feeling of i'm better than you Mm. right yeah we moved my parents specifically moved to this town for the education so we were less um we were not less educated but we had less money right Right. and money matters in this community and Mm. so you feel it every day so that all fed that negative self-speak of I'm not good enough. And and then you start pulling out your hair and then, yeah, you're not good enough. Look at you. You're ugly. Who's going to like you? Who's going to, what? you know, whatever. Mm. All the, the noise that's in your head. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And then you feel like you can't do anything or you, you know, and then you grow up with that and you kind of just go through the motions and you do what is meant of you as an Indian American. So it's either doctor, lawyer, business, boom, check, checked one of the boxes. Mm. Um, and it was safe and it was easy until it wasn't easy. And then I quit. So, you know, and then I went back to school for advertising to try to try to, to look back on my life and say, what did bring me joy? And it was all the creative stuff. So I said, okay, well, can't be an artist because I also need to survive. No offense to artists. <laughs> I also knew that that would not be so accepted in my community. So I was like, well, advertising is a nice hybrid of business and being creative. Boom. Let's go do that. Mm. Right. And so I did that and I really enjoyed it. And then, um, just moving to Minneapolis. I totally have lost the question. Sorry. No, folks. it's great. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> it's a good story. <laughs> and then we moved to Minneapolis, my husband and I. So I did finally find love. I did. Someone did finally see that there was beauty in me. I had to see it in myself first, obviously, for that to happen. Because before that, there were a lot of ugly guys in my life. Um, but now I'm with someone who really loves and supports me and, you know, has given his life for my condition for, for, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, the pain that I've caused him. Sorry, Samir. I love you. <laughs> Shout out to Samir. <laughs> for choosing, you know, to go on this journey with me, but there's so much that like, you know, I mean, it, it's just so, it's just, life is just so weird. This is not what we wanted to talk about. Oh, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just have to tell whoever's listening, like whatever pain you're going through, it's there for a reason. And like just thinking about, honestly, today, my son's homesick right now. He has like a little tummy ache, but he listens to, um, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person. So I read the guy, you know, I read like the Bible, we listen to Christian ministers, we do Buddhist chanting, we read all the scripts from all the other religions, that kind of thing. And so he was resting in bed and listening to a Christian minister podcast. And there was this this small story about this couple that was moving out and they got stuck in the elevator for an hour with their mattress. And they were hot and they were cranky and they were like, finally, we've gotten this out. And then as they're leaving the apartment building that they're moving out of, they see a little boy in the balcony And they put their mattress down because clearly something dangerous is going to happen. And one of them runs to get help. And the boy falls and the mattress catches him, right? So they went through that pain of that elevator. And I don't know if this story is real or if they've made it Mm. up. But just it's the example, right? Mm. Of you go through this pain of your father dying of cancer. And you start pulling out your hair because of it. But through that journey, you meet people that are going to support you through it. And then also one day be the person, be the people that introduce you to your husband that then supports you through it and helps you start a company for those same folks. You know what I mean? Like it's just, and everyone listening right now is like, what is she talking about? (laughs) It just, it just makes no sense. Why do we all go through so much pain? It's there to push us to do something with it. Yeah. Mm. And we don't even need to know the why. We just need to kind of 
let ourselves gently be pushed in the right direction and listen to our heart to say, I have to do this instead of that or whatever. So that the, you know, listen to the, the heart for what feels right. Like there were many other roads I could have taken that would have never led me to Samir. But I believe that I had to be led to him. I believe that my dad, I mean, you know, that had to happen. Not so I could be an entrepreneur or, you know, live that dream, but so that I could help other people, which is all I ever wanted as a kid, but never felt I could because I wasn't good enough. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for sharing, Anila. So wow, sorry. I, everyone listening is probably like, what is she on about? But I hope you'll understand as you learn more about what we do mm. as a company and how we help people and um I'm just gonna use my mask as a tissue. <laughs> <laughs> That's so multi-purpose. Yeah. Oh my goodness! That is so beautiful. Um, sorry, go ahead. I um, so I uh, recently um, started, yeah, like escalating my um, um, telling people that I have a BFRB and you know why why I'm on this journey and why it's important for me to to share about it and i think the thing that that strikes me and it initially it made me upset and I, I i think i'm finding my peace with it but it's just like you know it's great sharing and people who they return and they share and they they talk about their own family but there are people who just don't get it you know like mm-hmm. i share and i say hey you know this is what i struggled with every single day i tried to do you know, every single day I'd have these cuts on my hands. It it hurt to open doorknobs, you know, like this is how like my, my self-confidence was just at zero. Cause like, how could I trust myself to do anything when I can't even trust myself to like not try to claw off my own, you know, fingers. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm coming to these people, I'm sharing my pain and you know what they say? They're like, Jason, I don't get it. You know, Jason, you have a good job. Jason, you're an engineer. You know, Mm -hmm. like, honestly, you're overreacting. You know, you're making a big show of this. Like, you know, you should just stay quiet and, like, work hard, collect your paycheck. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I was so, like, how did these people not understand? And I think I was, yeah, like, wrestling with trying to convince them of it. But where I'm at now is, like, honestly, you know what? They don't get it, and that's okay. You know what? I don't think they're ever going to get it. And it was almost like a big tragedy of, like, the human experience is that, like, people don't value proactive maintenance. Um, Coming from an engineer, so my job was in asset management, and it's all about how expensive reactive maintenance is. You know, like, you run your car into the ground, and it's like a fortune to fix it. But if you just did tiny tweaks, you know, if you just spent like, 
you know, five minutes a day, like readjusting your fuel gauge. I don't know anything about cars. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you did the, if you did like $1 of proactive maintenance each day, you would save like the $10,000 to rebuild your engine. But nobody values that. Nobody values the proactive. It's only in going through the pain that they, oh, shoot, for next time, I will be proactive because I've already gone through the reactive. And I'm, I, you know, I'm trying to convince these people of like, you guys should get it. You should get it. But get the proactive. But but nobody gets it until they feel that pain. And then that's like, that's what val like, that's how you value it. And like, there's like a a value inflation of, of the pain. And it's, it's unfortunate, but it's also like, you know, kind of beautiful. Like that's how in me, struggling with my bfrb for so long that's like when i met adele i'm like holy crap like <laughs> i get this lady you know and like well, Anila, I, <laughs> we, so from pain came this beautiful friendship and folks that don't get it they just haven't seen that pain like they don't you know like it's just hard for them i mean even think about covid right before covid People didn't think mental health was real. There was like a good contingency of people that like truly thought we were crazy. That's the word that we're not allowed to use anymore, right? Mm. Because it's offensive. It is offensive. But now everyone's gone through such a huge upheaval of life that it's clicked for so many people. And even our healthcare system, you talked about reactive versus preventative. Like our whole healthcare system is built on reactive. And wanting to wanting you to keep stuck on this road of break fix break fix break fix. Yeah. Well, there's yeah, something actually. there's something about the stories that we tell as well that you know there's there's so many movies about like people being at the lowest low before they're able to start to build out of it, right? Like, or you know, it's way more exciting to hear about a car crash. Like, not exciting, but we hear about stories of car crashes or like oh yeah my car was totaled i'm fine luckily so yeah. it's all good but um but that's way more exciting of a story than oh yeah i took you know i'm a really careful driver and i've never had a crash and you know like i work i don't know it's just i think there's something appealing yeah we reward risk and we reward recklessness <laughs> even with our own bodies right like if we ate right and exercise i'm not saying i do this <laughs> but if we did right we could prevent a lot of healthcare issues down the line mm-hmm. but it's a, but then that's the work that's doing the work that's yes i want to live a healthy long life but do i want to do the work of eating salad for the rest of my life no <laughs> maybe once a week <laughs> yeah right so it's it's and yeah you know there's also that aspect of just yeah like the the risk versus the reward and we've our society as a culture has just always rewarded i mean just always kind of rewarded like i don't even know i can't we like sensationalize it right yeah yeah you know the the drama of the the yeah the wild swings and 
yeah, you know, the most boring person is the person who wears the the same gray khaki suit every single day, and you know, eats his Cheerios, and you know, um, stops at the stop sign. Yeah, it's easy to show compassion for someone when you can see they're in pain, right? Yes, like you can see it. Whereas we're really good at hiding it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's so internalized and either with wigs or makeup or, you know, whatever it is where, you know, I mean, I used to pencil my eyebrows to the point where people thought, oh, your eyebrows are so beautiful. What is your secret? Wow, you well, must have been really you. good at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a secret for you, but, you yeah. know, you don't want to hear it, right? Like we're so good at hiding it. And so it's hard to. Oh, you're in pain. Prove it to me. Mm. You can't. I can't break open my brain and show you just how filled mm. it is with anxiety and worry and mm. whatever else is in there. Mm. Negativity, negative thoughts about myself. Right. Anila, I wanted to ask you about your relationship with your husband and how you mentioned that originally he, so he didn't know about your trichotillomania, and you were penciling your eyebrows on. And what was that like developing? your relationship with someone who didn't know this big part of you by the time I met him I was so good at just like nobody knew I was just so good at just you know hiding it I was also probably in a better space mentally at Mm -hmm. the time where I probably wasn't pulling as much uh so it was easier to hide Mm -hmm. too you know it always goes in cycles like like I said like for when we were together the impetus was my pregnancy and right. that hormonal change. And, you know, a lot of other stressful things were going on in our life. Um, just like from work perspective, pre-habit aware, where, you know, I was doing this same thing where I was home during maternity leave, but I was helping a friend redesign their website. So at two in the morning, I would get up and I would pump and I would work on my computer. Like, what was I doing? And then, <laughs> you know, and so I was putting myself through this added stress for no reason then pulling because of work and this and that um and just the hormonal change which I even like recognized again after getting on medication for another mental health condition during COVID that oh when I'm on this level of birth control my pulling comes back and I cannot control it with all the skills that I have learned so then talking with my doctor to say I need a lower dose estrogen pill and that helped and then I could get back to my rituals and my routines where I was able to regain control. So there's definitely this chemical component where mm-hmm. it can override your wants, right? It can override your wants and your hard work. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's, um, but working, we're, you know, it was just second nature to hide it. Like I actually thought he knew because we would sit on the couch and I would pull and we would be watching TV when we were dating and he would just grab my hand. I even asked him after we started habit aware, like, do you remember those nights when we would watch TV and, you know, you would take my hand? Like, I just, I thought you knew, so I didn't kind of tell you. And he was like, no, I just wanted to hold your hand. Like, <laughs> melt my heart. You're so sweet and observant and that's what I about you. Um, you know, and then that morning where I tell him I have trichotillomania, I was scared because, you know, this is the person you're meant to in sickness and health, but this is a, a, a sickness in quotes that you've never even heard of, or, you know, what is it? And just that like big giant fear and question mark of what does this mean? And, 
he just started doing research to understand it and found BFRB.org, the, the major nonprofit in the space that, you know, has all the resources and knowledge and education. And then again, one day we're sitting on the couch and we're watching TV and he grabs my hand, but this time I know he knows. And so I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to punch you. Don't tell me what to do. Um, but that was the moment where I was like, oh, if I just had something that could notify me, that could make me aware, that could bring it from that subconscious mind and say, hey, Anila, take care of yourself, mm. then can I affect this change? And it's working. It's working for people. It's working for me. It's working for others. And so um, it's just been a phenomenal, phenomenal journey to be able to be with him on it and to, you know, work with him in love, marriage, friendship, parenting, and business, and to have that trust in each other that, you know, we're here for each other. And really, I feel it so much that, like, you know, you talk about love and, oh, it's meant to be. And I, this happened for a reason. Like, mm. this, us happened for a reason, bigger than ourselves. We didn't know it at the time. Um. Tens of thousands of people I hear <laughs> and you're helping. So yeah, thank you. Thank you, Adila, for for yeah, sharing your story, <laughs> overcoming this and again, tens of thousands of people you're helping. It's been really, really incredible. Like all around the world, you know, with with the Keen Two bracelet that we're we're also doing some peer coaching calls and I met someone from Saudi Arabia. And she asked me, you know, is this the first time you've met someone from Saudi Arabia? Like she's, you know, she felt so alone, mm. like that she'd never met anyone else. Mm. And I told her, I like paused and I looked up right that moment. Like, you know, how many have we shipped? I'm like, no, I've definitely seen like, you're not alone in your country. Like she, she you know, she felt so, I just wanted to remind her that she's not alone. Like there's more people out there in her country, in her region, in her world, right? That yeah. mm -hmm. so and we're just we're just at the surface of who we can help and how we can help them. Cause it's millions and millions of people, right? If it's one in twenty. Like that's the that's the big thing about us hiding is we're hiding from someone else that is also hiding. <laughs> yeah. Can you recognize that, right? We're hiding from someone else in our family, in our community. That is also feeling that shame, that blame, that guilt, that lack of mm. worthiness because we pull, we pick, we nail bite, right? Mm. And actually, I'm trying to reduce that language of taking ownership of the activity because it's our subconscious brain. So we have hair pulling, we have mm. skin picking, we have nail biting. We are not hair pullers, skin pickers, and nail biters, right? We are so many other things before that. Mm. but there's with one in 20 with these conditions we're so close to someone that could be our buddy on yeah. a journey if only we have that courage to share mm. and it's hard because yeah you, you go to the wrong person to share and you're going to be met with i don't get it why what why you know and it's i'm i'm hopeful that it's changing though especially with covid and the pandemic and all of the stress that we've all been under that I think people recognize more now that we are not as in control of our brains as we think we are. Mm -hmm. And that's what it comes down to mm -hmm. this perception of because it's my hands in my hair, that it's my choice. 
is a perception. It's not a truth. It's like an arrogance, I think, that we have. Yes, totally. It's totally our egos. Mm -hmm. Everything is ego. Everything is ego. I mean... Yeah, I, I mean, we're driven by that, right? All of our choices are driven by, and again, you know, you asked about growing up in Indian culture and stuff. Like the mentality was, what will people think? Which is ego, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What will people think if my daughter is a tomboy? What mm-hmm. will people think if my daughter doesn't do X, Y, Z, doesn't mm-hmm. get married or doesn't whatever, right? What will people think if whatever? Yeah. Right? And so you're driven by that. <clears throat> I wanted to circle back there. Um, uh, Anila, you said you're kind of more recently kind of um, investigating your kind of your, your culture, your race. Um, do, you, do you know the term model minority? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right here. Right here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you ask me to do because I'm a people pleaser and that's how I was raised as an Indian first generation American. It's just what we're, it's just our culture. Like, mm. Yeah, you, know, you go back home to India, and and that's just how it is. Everything is just yeah, it's just a different way of life. <laughs> I mean, at grade nine, you're studying for college SATs. <laughs> yeah, like um, I I think for me, how I'm exploring that is like how I I never gave myself permission to be angry or sad. Um, like oh, I'm I'm in Canada. I'm so blessed. Like thank you for letting me in. You could disrespect me all you want, but like, uh, thank you. You know, like it's yeah. anytime I do, I did feel anger. It, I, I was in this weird, like reality distortion field where I didn't give myself permission to be angry at the other people. So I, I think this is what I heard. And what you were saying is like, you would like look inwards. It's like, what could yeah. I, what did I do wrong? You know, yeah. like yeah. Jason, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you consider this? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. um, in yeah. a, a lifetime of that, just like, <laughs> You grow up in someone else's world, right? Like it's especially that feeling of moving, right? It's not your world. It's not where you grew up. It's not, it's not, um, it wasn't, it wasn't home. And I know my parents did it for a reason. Again, I went through that pain because I, to get that education, right? And to meet certain people that then, like when my dad got sick, we met with a family who wasn't on his care team, but was helping us from a personal side, right? So that he had the knowledge of what to ask the care team. Right. And that's how I met one of my best friends from high school. And then what, 10 years later, 15 years later, she introduces me to Samir. So that's what I was trying to get at earlier, but I was crying too much. To get there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I hope you stuck with You evoked the emotion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you with us to understand that. Um, but, you know, so, so we had to move for that stuff to happen but yeah, this feeling of, well, yeah, fish out of water, right? I mm-hmm. felt comfortable where I was. I felt right in who I was. I felt okay with like not wanting to wear tutus or whatever for the circus show or, and, you know, and be instead holding my ground. Whereas then moving, then it was more like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to call in sick for that day that we're doing the show. That's just easier. Fake a tummy ache, right? So that I'm not put in a position of feeling uncomfortable mm-hmm. and then I mean how much of your life can you live like that yeah. it's not fun I, I really admire your your reflection on your story and seeing the the meaning 
behind it and the, you know, this had to happen, this seeing the connections, how, how has that happened? Like, it, it seems like you put a lot of work into. It took a really long time. I will tell you in my twenties that around that time when I, you know, looked up what is trichotillomania, it was a bad breakup. I almost committed suicide. Um, I quit my job in accounting and I just left. I ran, I, I took a leave of absence and I traveled and I tried to see family. I went back to India, stayed with family there, tried to just kind of reconnect a little bit with who I was in a sense or who my dad was. Or I mean, not that I really did any of that. Like I just kind of drank and partied, to be honest. <laughs> I was in India. I was where we grew up, kind of. Not even, <laughs> you know. But really what did it for me was when we moved to Minneapolis, after Samir found out about my hair pulling, he encouraged me to find a psychologist. Found a psychologist who was uh, versed in BFRBs, body-focused repetitive behaviors. And she challenged me to write down five good things that came from his death, mm-hmm. from my father's death. Wow. And that was the only way. That was it. That was the challenge. That was how I finally like came to terms with it, where I don't feel any sadness anymore. I mean, I still cry, <laughs> I guess. So I guess I do feel some sadness, but, but I feel okay with it. Like, I feel like, like when you take a deep breath, that feeling of like, it's right. Which my mom would probably hear that and be like, it's not right, right? Because for her, it's a different type of pain. But I just have to kind of, maybe that's just the story I tell myself so that I can keep pushing, <laughs> right? But that's that that exercise of if there's something bad, find something good. And it's not about toxic positivity. It's just about training your brain to look for the good. Because there's going to be bad all around us. And your brain is going to want to be right. So when I was a kid telling myself, you're messed up and you're not good enough and you can't do this and you can't do that. And, you know, you know, don't share your poetry or don't because it's not good enough or whatever. Right. Like then I was priming myself to see all those moments where when I did show my poetry, rich white kid would point out that I spelled something wrong in it instead of for the beauty that it was. Right. And that's the memory I keep. Yeah. And so your brain wants to be right. So if you can train it to look for the good, even in even in a death, even in a mental health condition, even in something so, you know, a pandemic, whatever it is, pick your poison, but try to find at least five things if you can, because there's something in there, right? There's something in there. Even in the breakup that nearly, you know, devastated me. Well, if that didn't happen, I'd be stuck with that person. <laughs> I just have a few words come on. <laughs> 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 Which means, you know, like, I don't know. But, yeah. Um, That's yeah, so to, powerful. To, to find the good. I think um, I fear we could uh, go on for another hour, um, but uh, that 
maybe that would be a good call or good point to call our conversation um for now so um yeah oh my goodness anila thank you so much for 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 sharing um the the laughter the sadness um all of it um i i i don't know if um is there something that you could uh, direct your listeners to if they want to learn more about you or um how, how can they connect with you online yeah absolutely so we we sort of talked about but didn't talk about what i what I, we actually do here at habit aware so just very briefly we make a smart bracelet that uses custom gesture detection so you train it for your specific unwanted hair pulling skin picking nail biting and then it sends a vibration when it senses a match to that movement. And that vibration is meant to shift you into awareness so that you have then to the option, the choice to summon that strength to take care of yourself so that you're training yourself to listen to the BFRB as your signal to take care of yourself. And that's what we do at HabitAware.com, HabitAware.com to help you build awareness Come find us there. Come find us on Instagram. Come find us in our new community that is coming soon. We want to be here for you. You know, like I said before, this is. Sorry. Yeah, no, please. We, you know, as a child, I never thought I would amount to anything. And all I wanted was to help people and to get that chance to serve my community it's a true blessing so you are keen family keen is the name of our bracelet you are keen family regardless of whether or not you have the bracelet we are here for you we want to support you we want to help you identify and go after your dreams Stop letting these behaviors take up that time, space, and energy so that you can do those things. That's what my hope is for all of you listening. And I will grab my mask and wipe my face. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Thank you for being so so open. a A lot of core things bubbling up now from so i appreciate the really deep and insightful questions um but emotion comes with them so thank you Mm -hmm. thank you for listening thank you for allowing me to share my story with fidget podcast listeners and i'm just like i said at the beginning i'm you know for those that don't get it they don't you don't need other people to get it you just need to get it for yourself. You need to know that what you're doing in your heart is bringing you joy and is help. Know that you're fulfilling what you feel is your your want. <laughs> you're doing the want. You're doing the work. Want. I know what I want now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Anila, for being so open and vulnerable and authentic. That that's something throughout everything that you share online in with the community, with the social media is something that I'm constantly in awe of. And I feel like this episode perfectly sort of <laughs> demonstrates how real you are in, in the work that you do and um, your support of others. So thank you for that. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. I'm 
a very emotional person, even though I don't seem like I can be. <laughs> but talk <laughs> in and you'll get all the emotions. Thank you so much, Adele and Jason. Um, yeah, and uh, thank you to our, our listeners for, for, for tuning in and being a part of this ride. Um, if you have any thoughts, questions, you want to send us a message, you can reach us out reach us at fidgetpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram at fidgetpodcast. We also have a Patreon page if you'd like to support us. Um, What else? We'd like to thank Cheyenne for the logo, of course, and Thomas for our theme music, which should start right about now. Um, And if you have a minute and you're on iTunes right now, you could leave us a review and it helps us reach more people who may benefit from this conversation and the podcast as a whole. So thank you. Uh, Yeah. And to wrap up, I think uh, Anila, what is what is the sign off you always give? Oh, I'm wishing you love, strength, and awareness. Wow, how awesome was that? Anila and her team are empowering real-life change for tens of thousands of people in over 60 countries. In the show notes, you'll find the link to a really good YouTube video that explains how the bracelet records your motion. If you're interested in trying it out yourself, Anila is kindly offering Fidget listeners 10% off with the code FIDGET, that's F-I-D-G-E-T, and that's until December 23rd, 2021. Hmm, right in time for the holiday season. Thanks, Anila. If you enjoyed this episode, stay tuned to hear another member of the Habit Aware family on FIDGET's November episode. See you then!